in chapter 16, and actually we're going to, going to be looking at quite a good portion of Scripture this morning, so I would encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along, because we're going to be actually going through a good chunk of it today, and so it'd be helpful if you had, had it open on your lap or had your phone open to it or whatever you use nowadays for reading your Bible. But, um, you know, Jesus made this statement. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is sharing, he's revealing to us a principle. It's a very important spiritual principle. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my heart, my passions, my desires, they, they follow my treasure. That's what Jesus is saying. And so if I, if, I want to get, if I want to get stoked about something, then I need to invest in it. We oftentimes wait to get excited. We, we want to get moved by something before we give to it. But it's actually the exact opposite, that when I give to something, then I become more and more and more invested in it, and my heart follows it, and I engage with it a lot more. That's what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and, it's, a, and it's, it's amazing, because like one of our four basics as a church is to engage culture. And, you know, for, for several years, for years now, we've, we've given thousands of dollars as a church and thousands of man hours as a church in the service of this community and the surrounding communities. And isn't it something how the more we invest in this community, the bigger our heart becomes for it, right? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if you want to get excited about something, start investing in it. And uh, it's, it's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand even about Bible study. I know a lot of Christians say, oh, I, I, I want to read my Bible. I, we have intentions of reading our Bible. You know, I wish I read it more. Well, the way to get hungry for reading it more is to actually start reading it. Because I make an investment in it, and then I be, my heart follows my treasure. You, is this making sense, right? See, we think, we think of it in terms of spiritual hunger. Like we think I have to get, when, when, I, physically get hung, when, I, when I physically get hungry, then I go looking for food, right? And boy, there's nothing that stops me between me and the fridge when I'm hungry, right? But spiritually, it works the opposite way. If you want to get hungry, you need to begin to invest in it. You don't, don't wait to get hungry for the Word of God before you start investing in the Word of God. You start investing in the Word of God, place your treasure there, and your heart will follow, your desires will follow. It's how it works. And so one of our other four basics is to enjoy Jesus. And we really, really want to, and want to enjoy Jesus. Like, Jesus is enjoyable. You know, he's not, he's not just some stuffy icon on one of those velvet paintings in the church basement. You know what I mean? Like, that's, Jesus is so much more than that. He's, he's an enjoyable, delightful, amazing, fascinating person, Jesus Christ is. So if I want to enjoy Jesus, then I need to begin investing in, I need to take a a closer look. I need to start making greater emphasis in my life at at 
getting to know him. And the more I do, the more my passion follows it. Um, this morning I was praying, or yesterday I was praying about this morning, and, and I just, I was like, God, because, you know, all week I've been struggling with this sermon, and I'm like, I'm not feeling it. I got to be, you know, sometimes, man, I get up here and I'm just so into it. I'm just, this is, yes. And I just know this is it. And then other times, honestly, I'm like, well, it's the word of God. We'll be faithful. Let's see what happens. And that's kind of where I'm at this week. Does that, does that make sense? I hope, I, I think we all go through that. I don't think I'm the only one that goes through that. So, so I'm, yesterday I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, what do you want to say? God, what do you want to say to your people tomorrow? And I just heard it immediately. It made me, made me laugh because I heard it immediately. I heard the father say, tell them how much I love my son. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, we already know that. We know how much. No, 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 you don't understand. Tell them how much I love my son. God the father loves God the son. I mean, he is so proud of his boy. You, 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 can't, you can't even begin to put words in how much father loves his son, you know? So we're going to look at that this morning, actually. Um, the, I believe that what God wants to do this morning is take us past our Sunday school understanding of Jesus and actually into an encounter with Jesus. And, and I don't mean Sunday school, any disrespect whatsoever. Sunday school is great. But you know how in Sunday school, the, um, you know, the answer is always Jesus, you know, and you just, regardless of the question, it's always Jesus. He's, he's, when my kids were little, what did you learn today? God, you know, that's all, that was always their answer. What do you talk about? The Bible. I want specifics of the Bible. My kids, so it's Sunday school. And the story is told about the, about the class that the Sunday school teacher, she asks her class, bright-eyed kids, she says, okay, students, what is, what is gray and fuzzy and has a bushy tail and loves to play in the trees? And the kids all looked at each other kind of awkwardly, and finally one of the little boys piped up, and he said, Well, I know the right answer is Jesus, but that sure sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> right? And, you know, sometimes the answer is squirrel, right? Sometimes that is the answer. So that's what I mean. Like, we've got to get past that Sunday school Jesus and really see Jesus for who he is, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, and uh, first we're going, to, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 17 this morning, so that's why we need to keep it open. And I want to look at three different encounters that the apostle Peter had with Jesus, and, and, let's, and let's show how, I want to show you this morning how Jesus busted past Peter's kind of Sunday school understanding of him and got real with it. So we start with Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You see, the, you see what's going on, right? The mainstream media of Palestine in the first century, they're spinning who Jesus is, right? So instead of, instead of God in the flesh 
he's, well, we'll just go for silliness. He's Jeremiah. He's the ghost of Jeremiah. That's who he really is. And people have got all these fruity ideas about who Jesus is. And this is when Jesus is walking the earth, okay? I mean, 2,000 years later, we've gotten even fruitier in some of our perspectives on who Jesus Christ is, right? So they've got all these things floating around. And Jesus goes, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? No, take this off the page of the Bible for a second. Jesus is talking to you. Who do you say that I am? Make this personal. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So Peter gets this revelation, like from God, that Jesus, ding, 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 Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. The word Messiah, maybe your translation says the Christ, because they're the same thing, the same word. So Messiah is the Hebrew version Christ is the Greek version, right? So they're the same word, just said in two different languages. And so Christ is actually not Jesus' last name. You don't look him up under the seas and find him. That's not... Christ is actually his title. It's, it's who he is. It's what he does. So he's Jesus, more appropriately, he's Jesus the Christ. And The Christ, the word Christ or Messiah, it means this, anointed one. And when you break that down a little bit, anointed one, anointed meaning he's got divine favor on his life. That that God has said, God has placed his, you know, his endorsement, his favor down on this one. He's the anointed. And then he's the anointed one. Not just, you know, one of 20 and take your pick, but no, no, no. He's the anointed one. There's only one Christ. There's only one Savior. There's only one Jesus the Christ. There's only one way between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. There's only one Savior, and he doesn't take different forms like Buddha or Muhammad or what. No, there's only one Savior Only one anointed one come from God to man to bridge the gap between us and God. Only one. He's Jesus the Christ. Got it? And Peter sees this. And Peter's like, yeah, that's who you are. But does Peter really understand what he's saying? Not so sure. Because you go to Matthew chapter 17... And Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, opens up with this. After six days, so six days, less than a week. Remember, they're in their little retreat, the, Jesus with his 12 guys. Who do you say I am? Well, you're the Messiah. Six days later, so less than a week later, this happens. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. So six days later, Jesus goes on another retreat. This time, not with all 12 of them, just these three guys. Peter, James, 
and John. Now remember who was the guy six days earlier who said you're the Messiah? Who was it? Peter, right? So now Peter's one of them. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him on this second mini retreat. And it says, there Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, hey, hey Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Three shelters. The word there is tabernacle or shrine. So here's Peter like, this is such a cool thing, man. Let's put up a shrine. Let's remember this event forever and ever. Put up a shrine on the top of this mountain where nobody else goes, you know, just a shrine, and we're going to remember this. And you've read, if you read the same Mark in Mark's gospel, he also talks about this. Although Mark is not as friendly to Peter in this, Mark's like, yeah, Peter said that because he was scared. I mean, he literally was scared stupid, right? Scared silly. Peter doesn't know. He's just, just running at the mouth because he's so caught up in the glory and the majesty and the power and the awesomeness of this moment, right? He's just stunned silly beyond his ability to reason. And it goes, while he was still speaking. I love that. So God interrupts Peter, right? God's like, yeah, Peter, okay, just sit down and be quiet. I got something for you. So Peter's in the middle of running his mouth, trying to set up shrines. I mean, he's just going off, and God's like, yeah, I'm just going to cut you off right there. And you know what? I say the same thing. Lord, hey, any day I'll take what you have to say over what I have to say. So you can cut me off any day, God, right? I'll take what God has to say. And so Peter is still foaming at the mouth, and then it says, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. Whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Did I tell you that Father wants you to know how much he loves his son? He loves his son. This is my son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. That boy pleases me. That's my guy. So Peter, James, John, listen to him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, what did they do? They fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. It's okay, guys. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So here is Peter, stunned beyond words. The guy who six days earlier was the first one to answer, oh, you're the Messiah. And now suddenly Peter, he encounters Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. And Peter has nothing to say. 
Now, why would God see the need to give Peter this encounter only six days after Peter had this revelation that Jesus is the Christ? Why? Well, because this happened in the middle. Go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. So Peter, right, gets this revelation. You're the Messiah. And Jesus, uh, verse 20, orders his disciples, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah, okay? So let's keep this. This is a great revelation, great moment. Glad you guys are getting this. And then verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. So Jesus is, is very plainly laying this out for the guys, right? It's like, okay, guys, so you're, I'm the Messiah. You get that now. Peter, you've been, that's been revealed to you. So here's what the Messiah is going to do. I got to go to Jerusalem. It's going to get kind of rocky. They're going to crucify me. But don't worry. In three days, I'm going to rise again. I mean, he lays this out really plain for him. And look at what Peter does in verse 22. Peter took him aside. Took him aside. That's like, hey, Jesus. Pulls him aside. And it says, it says Peter began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Wait a second. Peter, try to wrap your brain around this. Peter rebukes the Christ. Do you understand? Right? Do you understand? That's like my cat. That's worse than my cat. That's like my chickens telling me that I'm doing something wrong. You get it? Do you understand, right? Chickens. They're dumb, and they're telling me that I'm doing something wrong. You get that, right? Peter, I mean, it's worse than that, because you're talking God and humanity. I mean, the the gap between the two is greater than between me and my chickens, right? And yet Peter has got the nerve to actually rebuke. That's a strong word. He rebukes God. Peter rebukes the Christ. You understand, the Christ is not rebukable. You get that right. You don't rebuke the Christ. I'm sorry, especially not the likes of us. We do not rebuke the Christ. Are you tracking what that makes sense? So why does Peter feel the need to rebuke the Christ? Well, because he didn't really see him as the Christ. He had a Sunday school understanding of the Christ. Oh, yeah, you're the Christ. Got it. So he knew the right answer. He could mouth that. But he didn't fully understand it. He hadn't encountered it until six days later when he goes up on the mountainside and now he sees Jesus in all of his glory and his majesty and his splendor and his power and he's dazzling white. And one passage says that he's, he's, he's white like lightning. Like, can you imagine staring at lightning for a, you know, any longer than a split second? Like it's, you know, he's dazzling like that. And Peter is, the guy who had the answer suddenly doesn't have an answer, and he's on his face in worship of the one, the anointed one. See, I want to know from you this morning, who do you say that Christ is? 
Jesus asks you the question, who do you say that I am? I propose to you that most of us only know our opinions of Jesus and we don't know Jesus. Do, I, do you want the myth or do you want the truth? Most of us just settle for the myth because the myth is what we're comfortable with. The, the myth is something that we can control. See, we love the baby Jesus at Christmas because he's a baby. But we don't ever let the baby Jesus grow up and be our Lord and be the Christ that he really is. See, the baby I can control. The baby's cute and all that, and he's cuddly and loving and kind and soft, and the cows have the big eyes, and, you know, the Christmas scene is so pretty and serene, but he needs to become the Christ. And in order for him to become the Christ, we need to encounter and so I ask you this morning, do you want your opinion of Jesus or do you want Jesus? And are you willing to even admit today that some of the things you know about Jesus are simply an opinion? And are you willing to say, I would like to let go of that because I want to know Jesus, the Christ. Even when he scares me. And I trust I be, trust me, he will scare you because he's the Christ. He's not the sweet baby in the manger. Follow? But are you willing to let that go? Let the, let the misconceptions go and embrace the truth of who he is, the Lord of all creation. Why is it so important that we get a right perspective? Why do we need to get Jesus? Why is it so important? Like Peter, he had to get Jesus. Why is it so important for us to get the Christ? Why? Well, the first reason is simply this, because it's, it shows you where God's taken you. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear. Romans chapter 8, it says that he's those whom he is predestined, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that his son might be the firstborn over creation. Follow that? So he's predestined you to be like his son. So you need to get a right perspective of the Christ because you need to understand that he's forming you into his image. Check this out. This just hit me. This just hit us this morning while we were praying. Great word. This is a great word this morning that Bud shared. I was like, whoa, blew my mind away. So the word Christian, you are called a Christian, right? Do you know that the word Christian means little Christ? Christ means anointed one. So you are the little anointed one. Right. Do you understand what you carry? I mean, you've heard me say it many times. You're way cooler than you think you are. Way cooler. You're carrying, you are carrying something with you that is immense. You're a, you're a little anointed one. You represent his kingdom wherever you go. Heaven touches earth everywhere you go. It's that simple. So, 
Yes, you have the authority. Yes, you have the authority to bind demons. You have the authority to heal. You have the authority to speak truth. You have the authority to bring hope. You have that authority. Why? Because you're a little anointed one. Second reason why I need to get Christ is because of this. It means that he has authority in my life. Not just in my life, but he has authority completely. In 2 Peter, in 2 Peter we read these words. It says, it says this. If I can find it, I can read it. Well, I'll try to read it up here. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. You know what I think is amazing is Peter's writing, look who's writing it, right? Peter. Peter's writing this letter to the church, and it's years later, years later. And, and you can almost sense in his words the guy is still stunned by what he experienced on the mountain that day. He's like, I'm telling you, we, we are not just making, we're not making this up. We're not following cleverly devised stories. We're not, we're not making this up, I'm telling you. We saw this, Right? Jesus the Christ means that Jesus has authority in your life and mine. If he's not the Christ, he doesn't have authority. If he is the Christ, then he does have authority. And if he does have authority, then that means that his word to me is not optional. Jesus has authority, which means his word to you and me is not optional. So often we treat Jesus' teachings as though they were nice sayings. You know, it's kind of like Jesus is just like Confucius. Wow, that's really deep, man. And then we don't ever do anything about it. Jesus is supposed to be a lot more than just deep. (laughs) He wants to change your life. And what he has to say is the right thing to say. Jesus has the right perspective on our lives. I want what Jesus has to say about my life. So it means that he has authority. And then the third thing that it means is this. And I, I, I need to see it, Aaron, because I can't remember it. What's the third? There it is. My life depends on it. I should remember that. That's a big one. Your life depends on him being the Christ. Um, Jesus said this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Look at, would you all say that with me at the end? Those who hear will, yeah, say that again. Those who hear will live. You following that? Your ability to hear is huge. And my ability to hear is connected to my respect for him as the Christ. If he's not the Christ, I can ignore him. If he is the Christ, I dare not ignore him. Those who hear him 
live. Hearing is such an important thing. You can't have a relationship. I can't have communication without hearing. I can't have a relationship without communication. Hearing is huge. That was brought home to me just this week in kind of a very simple way. On, on, so I bring, so backstory. I, I, bring my, I bring my wife a coffee every morning before just it's part of how it's part of our little ritual. So I bring her a coffee in the morning first thing, right? And uh, Thursday morning, had an early morning meeting, so I bring her a coffee and I run out the door and buzz on with my day and um, don't think anything really of it. And um, she sends me this text and she says, thank you for the coffee. And, and I read the text. I'm like, yeah, nice, that's really, that's great. She appreciates the coffee, perfect. And I'm moving on with my day, right? And, uh, and I didn't reply back because I, I just, I wasn't hearing it properly. So I was moving on with the day. And then I get home at, at nighttime, at, you know, dinner time, and she's making dinner and stuff. And, and I can tell, you know, you can tell when something's not quite right, right? And so I'm like, uh, what happened? What, what did I do? What, I knew I did something. I always did something. That's always. The first question is, what did I do? That's always the first question, right? So I knew I did something. And then I find out that, you know, she said, you didn't, you know, you didn't reply back to my text. And she spent all day, you know, really feeling insecure. And um, so all day long, like there's this, you know, there's this gap between uh, my wife and myself because I didn't hear her correctly. Isn't that interesting? And on a small scale, if that's how that works in my relationship with my wife, I didn't hear her correctly. And by the way, we worked it out, just so you know, all's good. I just want you to know that everything's cool now. But just, just don't, don't, don't want you to be too worried. We're good. So we worked it out. But if, if, that, if that little break, you know, if my not hearing my wife caused that little break in our relationship on Thursday, can you imagine how great is the break if I don't hear God? speaking to me, right? Our, our need to hear him is tremendous. It's, it's invaluable. It's priceless. You can't even describe how great the need is for us to hear him. And I hear him because he's the Christ. You see, if he's not the Christ, then I can just kind of ignore him. I can, you know, I can take him or leave him. But if he is the Christ, and he is, then when he speaks, everything else stops and we listen. Because he has the authority to do that. Follow? And he says that when I do that, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, you'll live. So your very life and my very life depends upon hearing him And my willingness to hear him depends upon whether or not he's the Christ or not. And since he is the Christ, that means I listen carefully for what he has to say. Because what he has to say means life to me, and I want to hear it. See? And so what we want to do in these next several weeks, uh, and I don't know how long we're going to go, but a little while probably this fall, 
We're going to place an investment. We're going to start making an investment in Jesus. Because remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So let's, let's if we want to increase our passion and our enjoyment for Jesus, we're going to increase then our investment. And so we're going to take some time this fall and invest in a, getting to know the Christ for who he is. And I pray that as we do, that we will fall madly in love with this one, this anointed one, and that our respect for him will go through the roof, that our admiration for him will go through the roof, that our, our commitment to him will go through the roof, right? That, our, that our, our, our desire for him and thirst and hunger for him will go through the roof as we do. But as we close this morning, I just want to pose this question to you. Do you do you want to continue believing your opinions about Jesus or do you want to know Jesus? <clears throat> and um, I don't even know what they are, right? And I, I'll admit to you, I'll admit to you that I'm pretty sure that some of what I know about Jesus is just an opinion. So I'm admitting that to you. Although standing here, I'm not exactly sure what all they are, to be honest. But I'm willing to kind of go this direction and pursue him and, and say, so that when he reveals an opinion, he goes, you know what, Ralph, that's, that's really not... That's just your opinion of me. That's not really me. Then, okay, Lord, I want this posture where I say, okay, God, then I'm, then I'm done with it. I'm dropping it because I want to know you and not just my opinion of you. And that's what I'm inviting you to this morning. Are you willing to pursue him with me in that way? Maybe I'll word it this way, you know, which one of the Peters are you, right? There's the Peter who has the Sunday school answer but doesn't really know what he's talking about. And there's the Peter who has the nerve to actually rebuke the Christ. That took some nerve. And then there's the Peter that has just nothing to say anymore because he saw Jesus for who he was. And I'm saying to you, I want to be that Peter. I want to be that one. So, Jesus, we invite you to uh, defy our imagination. <laughs> we invite you, Jesus, to rock our little world. We invite you, Jesus, to, um, <clears throat> to confront us, to confront our false beliefs about you so that we can let them go in favor of knowing you, you, who you are. So, Lord, that's our posture before you this morning. That's our commitment. And I thank you, I thank you. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, the word says that you're the one who reveals Jesus to us in truth. So I invite you, Holy Spirit, you do your work in us, please. We want to know, we're eager to know. In your holy name we pray, amen. So let's stand and let's, let's sing together here as we close and, and open up our altar. And I invite you to come pray with me. Come, 
come pray with me and, uh, and make this commitment with me. Lord Jesus, uh, I, I'm asking you. Um, to reveal the, the things that are just my opinion because I really want to know you. So come and join me if you